You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Freedom of movement. The right to privacy. Both are concepts you've probably thought about a little bit differently since the lockdowns and civil liberty intrusions that started in 2020. Even farther back, if you really think about it. Well, our friends at privacypost.io have you covered of something that you're probably going to want to know about if you value both of those things. Privacypost.io is a privacy-by-default virtual mail and business center designed for the location-independent, expat, and international entrepreneur community Anyone seeking financial freedom should consider PrivacyPost.io. Their services include virtual mail, a professional business address, privacy trust services, company formation, and a Portugal D7 residency and virtual domicile in the privacy-respecting and income-tax-free state of South Dakota. PrivacyPost.io protects you from third parties, overreaching government agencies, and complicit cloud-based platforms invading your personal private, and business information. Privacy is freedom of association, expression, commerce, and mobility. Isn't it time you took it a bit more seriously? PrivacyPost.io is your partner in freedom. Go to PrivacyPost.io for more information today. yourself you're on the run with remzo w martinez Matt, i appreciate you taking the time to come on the program today brother uh we've had kind of a theme going on the last month or so is this idea of i hate new year's resolutions to put it bluntly i think anything worth doing tomorrow is probably worth starting today and i've tried to hold myself more accountable for things um you know recently i got one of my first promotions in jiu-jitsu And that was a big confidence booster for me. But right now what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to try and stretch out to different areas where I used to be really confident in the past, but then life got in the way and kind of disconnected me from those things. So I'm trying to rediscover those moments. One of the small goals I have for myself is to compete in a local 5K in in March of this year. I have not run very often the last couple of years, so I started getting back into running. Uh, running here in Wisconsin is a bit of a pain because it's just so freaking cold. But I've learned to kind of just embrace the cold. And I, I haven't ran a... Gentlemen, ice in your veins. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you know, the one good thing about running in the cold is that you don't sweat as much and it doesn't get in your eyes, but you feel it. And then you get those moments where you'll get hit by like that Lake Michigan wind. And then you just question all your life's choices. But but this will be one of the first 5Ks that I've ran in, in five years. I think the last one I ran was after college in 2017. But uh, I, I wanted to bring you on today because you've, you've been able to accomplish a lot through just your sheer force of persistence. You're one of the most persistent people I've ever met in my life. And um, you've accomplished something that very few people, even in like, you know, the professional fitness community, have been able to accomplish. You went ahead and completed three Spartan races, the three different types of Spartan races, within a four-month period a few years back. And I also competed in a physique competition the week after the third one. Was that the one where you had to bronze yourself and you turned, yeah, like, you know, yes, six exactly. degrees in Puerto Rican? Where I got a text message from one of my clients that said I looked like an instant brother. That's a compliment, <laughs> I think. Went from my pasty white self to a completely different ethnicity by her standards. <laughs> well, as long as it but was when meant you look on compliment. Sta- I think it was. Um, I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily take it as an insult. I'd say that, hey, you're tanned and really good. You're hardly even recognizable. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Matt, let's go ahead and start from the beginning because, you know, your your pursuit of achieving a certain standard of health and wellness has always been a, a key component of everything you've done in your life. How, how did you get into this and what decisions led you to saying, hey, I want to go ahead and compete in this madness filled, you know, Spartan race? Yeah, well, I mean, so when I was in college at James Madison University, uh, I was competing for entry into the School of Media Arts and Design, so SMAD, because um, I wanted to be a film director in Hollywood, but I also at the same time was really passionate about fitness. You know, I wanted to be that, that fit film director. You know, I really wanted to keep Zach Snyder. Health. Yeah, sure. I guess, um, you know, J.K. Simmons-esque, you know what I mean? When I'm, you know, 60 years old and just shredded to the bone, veins popping out, right? Um but uh, no, they uh, told me that my GPA after six semesters at Nova, where I did six straight semesters in two years, I was, I was fall, spring, summer, fall, spring, summer. And that following fall, literally immediately after my summer semester, I was at JMU. Um, so I completed eight semesters of college before I got a summer off. Um, more than most people would do. And uh they, during my second semester at JMU, uh, told me that my GPA, based on the courses exclusively that I'd taken at JMU, my GPA wasn't good enough for competitive entry into their film program. Mind you, they could see my GPA from Nova, you know, while I worked a full-time job, while having being a full-time student, I maintained a 375, was on the PTK, which is their Phi Theta Kappa Honor Society, uh, maintained that as well. Um, but they told me my GPA wasn't good enough, but they were comparing me to people that had completed one semester of college. So I was like, okay, well, what can I do? They're like, well, you can reapply next year. The last thing I was going to do was pay for another year of tuition to be told, Hey, you're still not doing what we need you to do to get in our program. So I said, screw it. I like working out. Why, why don't, you know, since I'm, whenever I'm not learning about, you know, film and television and things of that nature and filming and, watching films, I'm learning about health and fitness, trying to improve my physicality and my health. So I took it upon myself to pursue that as my degree in exercise science uh, at JMU. And uh, then I had to complete an internship following my 
final semester. And I completed my internship that internship at Lifetime, where I ended up working as a trainer. Uh, that's where you met me. Um, and initially, my fitness was just me trying to achieve a level that would get me an almost perfect score on a Marine Corps PFT test. Um, and that was an 18-minute three-mile, uh, 20 pull-ups, and then... I can't remember what the third one was at the time. I think it was like uh, 40 push-ups. I can't remember what it was, but yeah, cause it was like the run, it was the pull-ups and something else, but it, 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 the third one wasn't even a concern of mine. Um, so, I mean, I was maintaining usually 19 pull-ups, you know, that 20th was all was ever elusive to me. Like I did a challenge at one of the Spartan races, ironically enough at their Marine Corps booth. And they're like, yeah, if you do 20, you get the, pain is weakness, leaving the body shirt. And I was like, bet, let's do it. So I get 19 and I'm fighting for the 20 and my hands just give out on the bar and I slam my back on the ground. Yeah. Had the wind knocked out of me, but Hey, you know, I was trying to get that 20. So it still is to this day, an ever elusive number for me to achieve. But when I started my fitness journey, I weighed 135 pounds and I've capped out at 200, never being over 15% body fat. And maintained now at around the 180, 185 range. Um, but I mean, part of the Spartan races, getting back to the topic, was to really challenge myself um, and create something that I could pursue that would, again, challenge my physicality and really put my body to the test. It started out with a Tough mutter, and I did the Tough mutter that June and uh, finished it. And immediately after finishing the Tough Mudder, I had three other guys that I was with. I was like, y'all want to go for round two? Because they tell you once you complete it, you can just keep going around. You've already paid for your admissions. Um, but everybody else was like, no, nah, man, I'm too tired. I'm like, dang, this is the furthest I'd ever run. Prior to the Tough Mudder, which I think the one I did was about 10 miles, the furthest I'd ever run in the consecutive distance was seven miles on a treadmill. Um, so not exactly really challenging because there's no obstacles there. But really what speaks to me about the obstacle races is you don't have to be a good runner. You don't have to, you know, be crazy physically strong. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's basically just several hours of hit. And if you pace yourself, you can actually get a really good workout out of it and really push yourself to the limits and really see where your weaknesses are and work on improving said weaknesses. What was your mindset that you wanted to, you know, place ahead of certain people? You wanted to come in like, nope. you know, first, or was it just to complete it? Just to complete it. You know, I, the biggest thing is I typically, like, you know, you, everybody seems to think that everything's a competition. Uh, you're, you're just trying to do better than you did yesterday. Your competition is with yourself. You're you for a reason. You're not Tom Cruise. You're not Brad Pitt. You know, you're not Michael Jordan. You're not Michael Phelps. You're you. If you were meant to be those people, you would be. So trying to compete with anybody in this sort of thing is extremely outlandish, I would say, because most of the people that compete in these Spartan races are marathon runners, triathletes, you know, to be an everyday person, just walking onto a Spartan race thing. I want to place first. I'm here to tell you, I've been at these and I've seen people finish the three to five mile long sprints. I've seen them finish them in about 30 minutes. And that's including the obstacles. They didn't just run the course. They ran the course and completed the obstacles. And we're talking in 30 minutes. 
then that after that was the Super, and that one as well was at the Wintergreen Resort before they banned Spartan races from being held because they would host them at the Wintergreen Resort. Uh, on the ski slopes, you'd go through the woods, up and down the mountain five, six times in different ways to Sunday. And you'd think you're at the top of the mountain only to go back into the mountain and keep climbing for another 20 minutes and come out the other end and realize you're still not at the top. Um, amazing views, but Wintergreen didn't like the fact that they destroyed the slopes. But granted, it wasn't during the winter. It wasn't when they were trying to, you know, have people ski and whatnot. Um, but I think the fastest time that somebody finished that was 42 minutes and it was a seven mile. So if each of these different versions of the Spartan race, they, they just get, longer. They, they get incrementally longer. And usually they increase the number of obstacles. And in some instances, they integrate more challenging obstacles. What, so what you mean, mentioned, yeah. I mean, what, what you mentioned earlier about just the, the sake of completing it. Um, I, I've never done a Spartan race or a Tough Mudder, but the one thing I am familiar with are the Murph challenges. And I, I completed uh, two Murph challenges between 2013 and 2014. And um, most of the time, they were the ones where you had to have a, a video camera up and somebody watching on the other end to watch you and your team compete in it. Um, yep. This is back when they were starting out before they were actually doing more of the mass races and stuff. So usually it would be me and like a dozen or so of my uh, friends in the Corps of Cadets who would do it together. So we get our rucksacks, or our weighted vests, and we do that. And uh, it, it was it was always one of the situations where it's like because we worked out and trained together so often, we already kind of knew who the best of us were. But it was it, that was never the point. The point of it was training together and doing this together to say we could do it. So we always got the T-shirts. We always did it. And uh, it, it was just one of those things that we did just to say that we, we could accomplish it. And I think that for a lot of people, and especially people who were already, you know, incredible athletes, already in really good shape, what I found is kind of ironic is that when I've talked to some folks who say they want to do this and they look like they're the type of person who would already be doing this, there's always this hesitancy that I've noticed. It's that, oh, well, I could be better. Well, if I'm going to do it at all, I might as well do it to win. And it's yeah, like, and how could you how, how and could that you mindset that is toxic. Mindset? I mean, I encountered several people that would talk to me all the time. About, I don't want to do a physique competition until I know it can place first. The problem with that, first of all, is that you have no idea who's going to show up the day of your show. You have no idea who you're up against. Until you're in the pro leagues, you really don't know. The only time you really know who you're going up against is, again, if you're in the IPB pro leagues, because they release a card that tells you who all is competing. I mean, in, in those instances, you're competing with people that don't even live in the country. When you're in the pro level, you get people traveling here from Brazil, Switzerland, all over, and you're competing against them. People you've never met before. People that could have literally just won a pro show and took a two-week rebound and are getting on stage and they've their muscles are just popping because they haven't been dieting for they've been dieting for you know a year doing show after show after show. Uh, but that puts your body through the ringer. Your body's not meant to maintain that level of leanness on a regular basis. So I mean and one of the best things I ever heard from somebody was, you know, trying to just achieve a level of functional fitness. You know, if you're not in this, it's the whole, the whole YOLO mindset is completely complete garbage. You only live once. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that, you know, you go balls to the walls. Like you're meant to live a healthy life. You know, is it really worth putting a bunch of drugs in your body, a bunch of needles in your body 
just to say you made it to the pro level, but you never made it to the Olympia for bodybuilding, you know, is that, is that even really worth it? Because, you know, you look at all these bodybuilders that are dying pro bodybuilders that we all know cycled constantly and they're dying, you know, whether or not they want to reveal what's happening. There's a common uh, denominator across the board and steroids. Well, how many, how many times each time there's another summer Olympics, do we see some Olympic power lifter who's, you know, probably in like their late twenties, early thirties die from a heart attack. That, or, you know, they snap a bone. I mean, your body, it's like when I go to the gym and I see people that are lifting and they're like 18 years old, they're lifting more than me. Cool. I'm going to cheer you on all day, every day. But if you were to ask me my opinion, I would honest to God tell you, what is that going to do for your life at 30? Because at 30, you're going to be showing up to my doorstep complaining of back pains and things of that nature. You know, like achieving a higher than, I mean, you know, I understand chasing that 1000 compound, you know, like, oh, I want to be able to, you know, squat, bench and deadlift a compound of a thousand, which would realistically be, you know, uh, about a 350 pound squat, you know, a 400 pound deadlift and a 250 pound bench. You know, that's an easy 1000. I tell you, like, my goal is I want to bench 315. That's three plates. I want to squat four plates. That's 405. I want to deadlift five plates, possibly five plates plus a two and a half on either side, because five plates is 495. Why not just go for 500 even? And at that point, you're at, you know, 315 plus the 405, that's a, 750, that's a 720 plus another 500. You're at 1220. Your compound's 1220. You're over 1,000 by 20%. I'd say that's a pretty good number to change. Case. You know, so if that's what I can do by the time I'm 40 or 50, I'm content. I'm content with that. You know, Ronnie Coleman, one of the biggest bodybuilders of our time is almost in a wheelchair, dude. And he was squatting, you know, 800 pounds, lightweight, baby, you know, squatting it, but it, it broke him down. One of the longest running bodybuilders of all time said, it's not about heavy weight. It's about lifting more than you did the day before. Dexter Jackson. So he yeah. just finished. He retired from competing uh, in his fifties. He was still competing at a pro level in his fifties, competing with guys that had been bodybuilders for four years and beating them at 50, looking better than a 20 year old. So it's just chasing that longevity. Realistically, you know, and going back to the idea of a goal every year, one of the best books I ever read, I read back in 2017, Power of Less by Leo Babata. And he, in it, he actually mentions, you know, talking about the toxicity of um, New Year's resolutions. And he's like, instead, just think of it as the big picture and then break it down into smaller things. So, like, if your goal is to jump out of an airplane, you know, go skydive, how are you going to get there? Instead of just putting skydiving, hey, my first, how do I get there? I got to figure out where I want to skydive. I got to figure out how much it is. I need to save up the money and I need to buy the ticket. Each one of those is an incremental task that creates a domino effect to your end goal. You know, you don't have to literally be like, Hey, I want to be, I want to lose 50 pounds this year. Guess what? Make the goal. If you want to lose 50 pounds, but in order to lose 50 pounds, you got to lose 25. In order to lose 25, you got to lose 10. In order to lose 10, you got to lose five. By creating this lofty goal that you can never achieve, you're never getting that positive, um, the positive emotions. You're not getting the dopamine by checking that box off. So creating those smaller tasks creates that domino effect of checking things off. It's also something that 
freaking Dave Ramsey, who there are some good things and there's some bad things. You know, he's not oh, exactly man, I, I love Dave. Don't don't trash talk Dave. No, so he he's a little outdated, I would say. Um, you know, trying to say credit cards are bad. Dude's an idiot. Uh, if he's going to say credit cards are bad, uh, maybe in 1990 they were bad, but these days, shoot, man, stop. It's like it's just because people go overboard on the credit cards. You know. Uh, my girl was trying to build up her credit. And I told her, I was like, okay, cool. We're going to get you a credit card that you're going to use to pay for groceries. We're going to get you a credit card you're going to use to pay for gas. And literally, that is all you're going to use them for. We're going to put a post-it note that says gas, post-it note that says food. And that's all you use them for. And every payday, you pay them off. And the reason why is because if you use your debit card, you're using your money and you're not getting anything back. You'll get a Walmart credit card. You can get 2 to 5% back for buying your groceries. That's like getting a discount, but they're giving you that because you're using it. You just don't use it to the point whereby you can't pay it off. You know, you don't go buy frivolous garbage. You know, you buy the things you need. You're always going to need food. You're always going to need gas, right? Okay, cool. You're not going out and buying video games. You're not buying a game system. You're not buying Pokemon cards. You're not buying movies. You're not whining and dining your girl at, you know, some five course meal or going to Chima's all you can eat in Tyson's, right? You're, you're being frugal, but you're getting points for buying the things you otherwise already would buy. There's no necessity to go out on a fancy dinner. So, so with that said, how much time do you think was intentional preparedness versus just lifestyle? Because, you know, you were already in, you know, what, at least from what I can insinuate, you're already in pretty good shape when you saw these different races, when you saw these different bodybuilding competitions. So where was the gap between you have to do a ton of work and you've already prepared yourself for this because this was the lifestyle you were living. This was just an extra opportunity to see how far you could go. Where was that gap? More so the, it's more so just challenging yourself, seeing what you're capable of. I mean, I used to tell people all the time and I still believe it. Everybody should compete in a natural bodybuilding show. Not with the goal to win, but the goal to commit to yourself being number one, your number one priority for shoot three to four months and seeing what you're capable of, seeing what kind of grit you've got in your body. You know, just make yourself your number one priority. Everybody's constantly stretching themselves thin. You can't pour from an empty cup, right? So, you know, keep refilling your own cup until you're hydrated enough that you can start sharing with everybody else. What, so, what I mean, of, you know, if you, yeah, go yeah. ahead. But yes, I mean, just competing in a natural competition, the biggest problem is like, everybody's like, oh, I'm going to go pro. If you can't even go pro in a natural competition, get your butt off of that NPC stage. Because I'm here to tell you, when you go do an NPC show, shoot, you're paying at least $300 just to get on that stage. That's, that's like, what the cost to just get in is? You have, depending upon how many classes you're competing in, and then you also have to have a NPC amateur uh, membership card. You have to pay for a membership to even be able to compete. If you don't have your membership card, you can't compete. And that's over $100 annually. Are they still drug testing people for that? No, IFBB and NPC never drug test. That's the pro bodybuilding. In natural competitions like NGA, the uh, PNBA, the um, OCB, they typically have drug tested. Um, and a lot of them will actually even advertise it as a drug tested. And basically how it works is if you get any monetary prize or you place and you know you get a trophy and money, they give you a cut before you even leave the premises to pee in. 
And then you don't actually get your actual check in the mail until they get your drug results back. Because if they get your drug results back and maybe you placed first and it tells them that you're cycling or they, something pops on your, on your drug test, second place now gets first place. You're disqualified. And third place gets second and fourth place gets third. So, I mean, like, you know, in bodybuilding shows, there's not just first, second, and third. Everybody that's competing is getting placed based upon the score. You're getting graded, and then based upon your score, you're in a place. There's 50 people competing. There'll be a 50th place. Not that anybody's going to remember it except for that person, but, I mean, that's just how they work out. Um, But I think when I was competing in those, I think I maybe spent $600, but that was, like, for me to be able to do my tanning. Uh, which is usually two coats for people as pasty white as me. Um, so you got the, you got the full Latino package. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, the two coats of tan that, that was like almost 200 bucks. The membership fee was like $50 for the year. Um, then I paid, I think about $25 per class that I competed in. And I usually would compete in two. I'd usually compete in my height class and then I'd compete in an open. Um, and at that point, novice didn't exist, which is complete garbage. If you ask me, because novice is where you compete if you never competed before. Well, my unfortunate situation is that I competed when novice didn't exist. And now I don't qualify for novice. So I was going up against people that had been competing for years. And of course I was going to lose, but I didn't go to win. Yeah, of course, winning would be nice, but I accomplished something. You know, I was never the fit kid. I was the kid that could hardly do a pull-up in high school. You know, I wasn't shredded. I wasn't tall. I wasn't getting, you know, the national fitness and physical, the physical fitness tests that we'd get, the little red seal and the blue seal that you put on your mom and dad's bumper, you know. Yeah, never got those. So, I mean, when I see all those kids that had those and I see them nowadays and they're, you know, 250 pounds and they chug beers on the weekend and they hate their life. I'm just like, yeah, because you had everything when you were little, the world was your oyster. You had so many opportunities and you squandered all of them. I never had opportunities. So I made opportunities. It's like that captain America quote from the first Avenger, a man of nothing understands power because he never had it. But a man who's always had power never respects it. Yep. Um, I, I'm just curious because, you know, from, from the, from the races to the bodybuilding competitions, they almost seem like two, two very polar opposite things, because at least from an outsider looking in the bodybuilding competitions, it's almost like the real challenge took place before you stepped on stage. And when you stepped on stage, that's kind of just what you were presenting. Whereas if the races, it's oh, almost God, seems no. this like, show is the show is arguably one of the hardest things because you're on stage and you're flexing. You're not just like, Hey, here's my muscles. Okay. You know what? Treat treat me like I'm stupid. Walk me through the process of from when you get on stage to when you walk off stage. Yes. I mean, uh, well, before you even get on stage, you're backstage, you're working out. If you don't work out at the right time, you're going to look flat. So like if you're coming on stage at one o'clock and you're getting a pump up at eight o'clock in the morning backstage, like bro, you're wasting glycogen. Um, so I mean, meal timing, everything is a science with that. You know, I mean, when I got up before my first show, uh, I had steak for breakfast, just steak. That's it. It was just protein and fats, no carbs. Then before I got on stage, I had Reese's peanut butter cups to get my blood pumping. 
some people drink wine, things like that, get the veins pop in, give you that vascularity you're looking for, but also help shuttle blood with nutrients into the muscles and give them the volume. Wouldn't, and the three wouldn't, the alco- wouldn't, wouldn't the alcohol act like too much of a dehydrant? Uh, ironically enough, wine doesn't work that way. Um, because I mean, yeah, of course it's dehydrating you, but that's thinning out your skin, but it's increasing a liquid that's going through your bloodstream. So it's, it's, it's like, if you've ever, you know, when you get your blood drawn, I mean, shoot my arm, you can maybe even see my veins. I don't know if you can see them through here, but like freaking phlebotomists love me, bro. Um, but if you've got more fluid in your body, you know, the blood's flowing. So by getting a tighter skin and you having more fluid in your system, you've got more fluid and more blood, if you will, going through your veins, you're going to look more vascular. So, I mean, I think I peed, I think I drank eight ounces that day before I got on stage. And I think I peed out close to two gallons of water. Damn. Yeah. Because, uh, you're dehydrating yourself. You water load, um, usually going into a show you're up to most people are some, depending upon how big they are. I was actually doing two gallons of water a day, uh, about a week out. And then as I got closer and closer, the water kept being cut in half. So that my body was used to purging that much water from the day before, but I was only giving my body so much. So it purged excess that wasn't coming in. So, you know, if I drank a liter the day before and then I was only drinking eight ounces, I was excreting an extra 24 ounces more than what I was actually drinking for the day. That's wild. And, and when you're on stage, are you on there by yourself getting evaluated and everything? Or are there- so you have solo routines in some instances, and then you're on stage um, usually they'll call everybody back out and then they'll call like your first call out, second call outs, first call outs is where you want to be. Um, because it means that you're in the top five. Usually, um, now they're just trying to figure out who in the, is, in the top five is number one, two, three, four, and five. Um, you just kind of got to stand there and hope that they call you. Um, you don't really present yourself well, you know, because part of it's also posing, posing in and of itself is a completely different thing. Just because you can run doesn't mean you can pose. Just because you can do bicep curls doesn't mean you can pose. Posing is an art. And a lot of people, they show up to a bodybuilding show and they've never posed the day before in their life. And a judge will know that. And they'll see it. So. Is, is, does that bring with it more performance anxiety? Because in a situation like that, everyone's staring at you. Whereas with like a Spartan race well, or something. Arguably, I would say if, if, arguably, I would say if you're going to show you know, as a woman or a dude, and you're going to have your tits hanging out in like a bikini that's all flashy on stage. I think you've probably got a pretty good level of confidence about yourself. Um, whereby stage fright isn't a thing. I mean, you're coming in there and you're skivvies. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, physique, you're in a board shorts, um, classic physique, you're basically in briefs and then in bodybuilding, you're in a banana hammock. I mean, there's literally nothing to the imagination. So, if you're walking in there that day, you go on that stage, trust me, you're going to be fine. But the other thing too is half the people, you can't see them in the audience because it's so dark. The spotlights are so bright and it's really hot up there. You're posing not long enough, you'll work a sweat. Do you, do you think there's your a tan's diff- going to run? They got people backstage to touch up your tan, but. Um, do, do you think there's a difference? There's a- yeah, sorry, the, the internet was cutting out for a second. Do you think there's a difference between the type of people who participate in certain levels of, of physical competition? Like, I, I can't see a lot of people who do a Spartan race then going and doing one of these uh, competitions and, and vice versa. Do you think there's an overlap? 
Uh, I mean, it really just depends upon the person. You know, some people like pain. <laughs> some people like to challenge themselves. Some people like to torture themselves. It just depends upon how you perceive that challenge or, you know, that physical feat, you know. At one point, I wanted to go into the Marines. I wanted to go to off candidate school in Quantico. You know, I was trying to get all my ducks in a row to be able to do that. Um, but, you know, never really worked out. Every time I was getting ready to do it, something else presented itself as a better opportunity. And I just took it as a sign from above that I'm just not meant for that. I'm meant for bigger things. So. What, what type of people do you think are more likely to train and actually go on and you know, do one of these contests? Do you think there are some people where you can kind of look at them and think, ah, I think that person has more of a, more of a chance of finishing versus another type of person? To be honest, no. Um, because I've seen people of all ages, shapes, sizes, colors do Spartan races. I've seen the same for people showing up to bodybuilding shows. I mean, my first natural bodybuilding show that I did, there was this dude back there eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, didn't have an ab to his name, had like a beer gut, um, and was getting on stage all baby oiled up and tanned. And he went on there with the most confidence I've ever seen anybody have. And I mean, it just was, you know, as much as I'm proud for his confidence, I was rather insulted about the amount of work that everybody else went through. And he showed up on stage and did that. Um, but because he was in his, uh, like late forties, early fifties, he was considered masters division. And considering that there was only three people competing at his age group, oh, he automatically he, he got had, third place. Oh, he knew what he was doing. Oh, you could that, say that that bastard. Do, do, do you know how many people are competing against you? Prior? No, not until you show up. Oh, so he was really taking a chance on that one. Uh huh. I I remember I used to do uh, go ruck challenges with Ryan growing up, and um, the last one we did was 2015 because that was the last time they were in Virginia. And uh, Ryan and I had like full rucksacks because we were like, you know, we're going to train and we're going to compete like everyone else. And I remember showing up and you had two types of people, the people that, well, let's say three, the people that like were avid ruckers, people who rucked March with, you know, a 40, 50 pound rucksack. And then you had the people who had something lighter, but they were more casual. They did it because they liked doing, you know, fun, fun runs and stuff like that. And then you had the people who showed up and they would have like a string bag with some clothes in there. Yeah. And I always felt like, there's this um, there's this tendency, and I'm not going to say it's a generational thing. I think it's just something I see of certain people. There's this desire to have accomplishment that is unearned, and those people that had you know like the string bags and stuff like it. Well, they, perfect they were, example. I know exactly what you're talking about. I was completing one of my data center courses, um, and I was about 20 percent of the way through it. And I told your brother about your brother about this. And uh, I finished one of the modules and it said, congratulations on your completion of the course. Here's your certificate. And I'm like, I'm only 20% of the way done. Now, the average person, like the ones you're talking about, they just want to say they've done something. They would have been like, cool, I got my certificate. I'm good. I'm going to go. No. I finished all 100%. You because they again, the certificate early? Yeah, they just gave it to me early, which is weird. But I mean, the last thing I ever want to do is have someone be like, oh, hey, you know, we looked at your search shows it's invalid because the course was never completed. You know, why would you want to walk around like you accomplished something knowing deep down that you took the easy way out? You know, it's like I tell people that want to do bodybuilding and they take steroids. I'm like, so what if one day steroids are gone? 
Can't find them anywhere. Can you repeat what you did? Absolutely not, because you don't even know how you did it. You stuck a needle in your body and you did the work. But the work you did as a natural athlete would never be enough. Look at Doug Miller. The way he trains, never seen anybody train like that before in my life. If you gave that man steroids, he would be the size of a freaking planet. I mean, he trains heavy for a lot of reps. So, I mean, it's just like everything just comes down to, are you a half-asser or are you a full-asser? You know what I mean? You're going to complete it. You're going to do the whole thing or you're just going to take the back seat and just kind of skate by. Because if you go with the answers to the test and you take the test, well, what if next time the answers aren't there? You're going to fail. You know, that's kind of like back to the, going in a completely different direction, talking about people that cheat their way through college, you know, even in like the IT field, you know, people that want to be a web developer, people that want to go and do that stuff and they go get their freaking computer science degree and they didn't learn anything. They just memorized the answers. Well, then they go sit in on a, on a interview and they fail it because they can't debug worth a squat because they didn't learn anything. They just skated by. Real world is going to chew you up and spit you out if you don't do it the right way. I, I had a, I had a phase. It's going to catch up to you. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a phase a couple of years ago where when I started doing consulting for up and coming authors, like out of 10 clients I had, about nine of them I would never speak to again. Because what separate somebody who calls themselves an author versus somebody who's pretending to be an author is really not freaking hard. It's have you actually published something or have you not? And what I discovered, because I would always go and do a little bit of research on my clients before I actually spoke with them to discuss their work and how to develop a plan of action of how to publish their next book or something, is these people would be promoting intention. And it was author, writer, thinker and all this other stuff in their Twitter bios. And it's like, how can you claim to be things or to have done things that you haven't done? Because just sheer intention, there, there's nothing noble or cute about it. I mean, well, it's, it's like Charlie Jabalay, AKA at Charlie on Instagram. Um, he basically, I mean, he did millions of followers. He had his uh, dream machine tour But the funniest thing about every single part of that is that, you know, Nike's approach of like, hey, everybody's an athlete. You're right. But what needs the distinction is not everybody's a professional athlete. I think one of the funniest things I ever heard in my undergrad internship at the strength and conditioning team was that um, they used to, everybody used to think like, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the best in the world. And uh, one of the coaches said, Dude, we're not even sniffing the farts of elite level athletes. You know, I mean, the, the elite level athletes are a dime a dozen. And when you're in a collegiate level of fitness and you got all these athletes coming in and out of the gym, and we're talking about, you know, easily 100 different kids you're seeing, I guarantee you, not a single one of them is elite. They're above average, sure, but they're not elite but they think they're all that in a bag of potato chips because they compete at a college level. So, I mean, it's just how big is your head versus how big is your heart? Yeah. And I mean, it it always comes down to intention. And I think that's something that's been divorced from our modern culture. 
Um, you know, I could easily bring up participation trophies and everything else like that. But I think that I, I think that's just covering like the surface level issues that we're having. I think a lot of people, especially in like a post COVID environment where we've just been kind of shut in and our only real ways of understanding, you know, the world around us without having to get too much of our comfort zone zone is is online and looking at influencers and things like that. There's been this divorce between intention and actual achievement. And, um, that, that's what, that's what really bothers me about a lot of people because, you know, I, I still have clients who want to be authors, but the idea of not publishing a book, you know, it's like, well, you know, I'd rather just carry on. What point do you feel like a failure for them? It's like, well, what if I don't publish the book? It's like the only, the only way you're not going to publish the book is if you choose not to publish it. Because here's, here's the thing that a lot of people don't understand. A lot of this stuff is simple. And it, it shocks me when people act like I've just given them a piece of revelation. There are so many easy ways now to become an author. The difference between somebody who cannot publish a book and will publish a book is whether they chose to actually do it. Because the barriers to entry, good and bad, are so low, you can still get that moniker of an author through very little work and through very little process. The differentiator is whether or not are you going to become a best-selling author, are you going to become a repeat author, are you going to become an award-winning author. All those other things might not be up to you, but there are people who don't even like the process. They don't even want to do the minimum work to achieve that. That's when they back up and say, oh, well, you know, I, I don't want to do it because I don't even know if I myself can commit to doing the minimum. That's the most shocking part each and every time. Well, I mean, then we get into the whole topic of commitment issues. <laughs> I mean, that's a completely different podcast right there. Um, but it's just, you have to wake up with yourself every day. You're the person you see every day. Do you like what you see in the mirror? If not, do something about it. If you like what you see in the mirror, you know what you're capable of. What's stopping you from taking on the world? How did you feel when you completed each of those competitions? I mean, I didn't win. I didn't even place top three. So I felt down, downtrodden. But shoot, that was 2016 was my last show. Six years later, I'm still bodybuilding. Would I say I'm a pro bodybuilder? No. Will I stop trying to achieve the physique I want? No, I will not. Shoot, I eat six meals a day. I literally got written down what I had today. I got a chicken meal coming up in about 10 minutes, but you know, I have had eggs. I've had Turkey. I've had beef. I'll have chicken here in a little bit. And I might have some tuna later tonight. Uh, yesterday freaking had, uh, eggs, tuna, Turkey, chicken, beef, you know, I mean, and then you know, first thing in the morning I'll have a protein shake after I work out, you know, I still enjoy pizza here and that here and there, you know, uh, freaking cake cookies, ate an entire bag of fruit loops gummies last weekend. You know, it's not about sacrificing the, the things you think are unhealthy for you, but it's just being realistic. Eating like shit every day is going to make sure you look and feel like shit every day. If you eat healthy, you'll feel and be healthy. Realistically, assuming there's nothing else underlying going on on a physiological level you just don't know about yet, but that's going for an annual physical and you get your local, your annual blood work. 
You know, you got two legs, two arms, if you're lucky. (laughs) Some people not so lucky, but believe it or not, there are people with one leg and one arm that do more than people with four limbs. Because they know that they're still alive, they're still kicking, and they're still breathing. They woke up above ground. They've still got a life to live. You know, I mean, a perfect example would be, you know, when you come home from work, do you do your errands and your chores around the house? Or do you sit in front of the TV and go to bed with unfinished work? Me, I like to have a clean, I like to have a clean place when I go to bed at night. So I don't have to worry about any surprises when I get up in the morning. You know, I don't like leaving my clothes unfolded past night because then I can't find my clothes. Then I got a mess. I got to figure out where I'm going to move my clothes to. You know, it's, you know, is this really what you want your life to just be? Is it, is it, are you comfortable where you're at right now? Comfort is the killer of progress. So, so it's more about, you, you, you weren't preparing for any of these competitions just to satisfy a moment in your life. You already had a lifestyle you were dedicated to, and those moments were just more reflections of where you were. Yeah, and more so just giving myself a new challenge. You know, I mean, when you're a kid and you're going through PE, you're challenged. They make you try new sports that you maybe have never done before. You know, when you get into the real world, if you're not prepared to challenge yourself, somebody's going to challenge you and you're not going to know what to do with it. If you keep pushing the envelope, you keep testing yourself and challenging yourself, you can find out what you're made of. Matt, I think that's a great place to leave off. And I certainly hope our listeners went ahead and and took something from this conversation. If people want to go ahead and follow you online, keep up with everything you do, how could they do so? Uh, At S'mores Gains on Instagram. That's about the easiest way to follow me. I don't really post on stories anymore. I occasionally post on my my feed, but that's S'mores, S-M-O-R-E-S, Gains, G-A-I-N-Z-Z-Z three z's alluding to sleep but also s'mores gains because i love s'mores and but also who couldn't always want s'more gains yeah all right yeah tacky dad jokes i greatly appreciate you and folks if you appreciate this conversation and everything else we've got going on here on the run please do me a favor it costs you nothing but it means everything to me a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcatcher of choice preferably apple Podcasts, since that's where most of the ratings and reviews for all the other apps and directories pull from helps people know more about conversations like this the moments we share together and how you're benefiting from the program you can go ahead and share this episode throughout all of al gore's amazing internet i know you know how to do it As always, be good, be safe. Good night.